You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, take you on a strange journey. In honor of the Utah Highland Games, I present to you Gordon Highlanders and Scotland the Brave. I cannot help but really enjoy that. Thanks for sitting through it. <laughs> Two minutes of bagpipes. I know for some is like an eternity. Uh, I, I absolutely adore them. I, I can't help it. This weekend was the Utah Scottish Festival and Highland Games, and uh, definitely I attended in uh, full uh, regimental regalia, essentially meaning my kilt and nothing else. Oh, yeah, sweaty balls. <laughs> Okay, so that's sort of the effect of wearing a wool kilt in, like, what what seems to be summer weather, uh, even though it's still spring, technically, I suppose. Anyway, it was great. Uh, we saw the parade field with the uh, uh, presenting of the colors and the band music and the procession of clans, and I love, I love the Highland Games, and I, I'm, I'm a proud American, uh, and I do always appreciate where you come from, if that informs who you are as an individual. Uh, for me, I, I think it does less now than it used to. I, I added a lot onto it because I, my, my real dad uh, was an asshole who uh, beat my mother, and, and so they were divorced, and I never saw him, which really made me want to sort of connect with that part of my family that I knew nothing about. 
him. And as soon as I did, well, <laughs> whatever. Um, that's maybe for another show. <laughs> Point being, uh, I connected with my Campbell ancestry, and I fell in love with Scottish culture. Uh, and I shouldn't even say Scottish culture. I should say American version of Scottish culture, <laughs> because I think it is dramatically different if you're actually in Scotland or around Scotland and experiencing it firsthand. Whenever you're in America, we, we like to claim uh, genuine uh, something, you know, so it's, it's, uh, real Chinese food. No, it's, it's American Chinese. Not the same thing. <laughs> real Scottish culture. Well, meh, see, it's kind of American Scottish culture, so it's a little bit different. So, uh, point being, I, I really enjoyed the music. I had a really great day with the family and, uh, you know, a beautiful, bright blue sky with the American flag, um, being presented, uh, Scottish pipes playing, and then uh, some really talented vocalists singing the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, me trying not to cry like a baby for some reason uh, since my service. It's always hit me like that. I don't understand why. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was it was a great, great day. Uh, saw a lot of really great strength games, uh, caber toss, stuff like that. And then some amazing, amazing music and dancing. And it's always nice to see uh, the vultures. I mean purveyors that come out to sell you their stuff <laughs> also and i love seeing those okay here, here's the bad part uh, during the procession of the clans uh basically everyone that's associated with that clan uh sort of you know walks into this big train of of scottish clans uh over the parade field as sort of like a show you know what i mean it, it's sort of like hey we're here we're queer get used to it <laughs> Really. <laughs> so they're walking across the field, and then uh, there's this point where this one spokesman for every clan says the clan motto or greets the crowd or throws out some form of challenge to another clan, and it's all done in fun, and it, it is sort of entertaining, except that you... And this is something I've talked about really... I, I've actually probably like spattered this throughout every single one of my episodes. I hate it when people who are not of a culture try to talk with that accent. And there's no worse, no worse fake, horrible version of an accent than a Scottish accent. <laughs> it is wretched, and it's horrible, and, and the fact that there's a new Disney Pixar movie coming out with, uh, it's called Brave, that was sponsoring the whole Highland Games, everyone thought they, they can do a legitimate Scottish accent. And so you had a bunch of real horrible, horrible hicks doing their best, worst Scottish accents. Uh, and it's like grating on your ears. Some of you hate uh, bagpipes. Well, I hate fake accents. Whether it's Latin and you're, you're in a Starbucks ordering a venti and you have to try to freaking come up with some Latin version of it because you're convinced that that's where it comes from, even though it's Italian. And then uh, ordering Mexican food. or And, and here's, here's one thing I noticed. No one ever goes into a Chinese joint and tries to put on a Chinese accent. Why is that? It's okay to go to, like, Taco Bell or, um, I mean, I don't know, Bajo Grill or something. Any Mexican restaurant. And do your best to roll your R's and, and flick your tongue to the top of your mouth when ordering so you sound like you know what you're talking about. But you go into a Chinese joint and you never switch your W's and R's, ever. I want to see it. I feel like 
Maybe one of you guys can do that and then record it and send it on to the rest of us so we can hear because I think that would be very entertaining, very funny. I don't suspect you would get your food, or if you did, you'd get a snot rocket with it, but I think it would be worth it for everyone. (laughs) So whomever, me or you, goes to a Chinese joint next, uh, order your food like this. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit offensive, but you know what? It's going to be worth it. And make sure there's someone that can help explain um, the glory of the reaction <laughs> you get. That'd be funny if they like just understood you perfectly. They're like, oh, yes, already get a egg roll. Oh, round eye. Okay, so I, I don't know how I got into Chinese food. Um, <laughs> really great news. The Kickstarter for Los Escritores Satanicus. See, I didn't eat that. That is a Spanish phrase, <laughs> title, and I didn't even try. I didn't even... Las Escrituras Satanicos. You know, I didn't even throw up my Antonio Banderas, which, let me tell you something, it's pretty good. <laughs> As in horrible. But, uh, you know, I, I spare you. So, see what I'm saying? I, I don't just talk the talk. I, I, you know, walk the proverbial tongue-flicking walk. <laughs> anyway, Las Escrituras Satanicus is finished, successful, over the mark. Uh, Everyone who pledged, uh, you guys are amazing. I mean, you really did something uh, that for this generation of the Church of Satan uh, is going to be a historic moment. And and that's that's a big fucking deal. So thank you for supporting it. Congratulations to Kevin I. Slaughter, Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter, who headed up this entire thing under his publishing banner, um, Underworld Amusements. And for all of you who missed out on it, who were not able to uh, pledge at this time, there are pre-orders of paperbacks that are going to be announced uh, very soon, and it's nothing special, it's just the regular uh, Satanic Scriptures in Spanish translation as a paperback, which was always going to happen anyway. But if you were lucky enough to get in on those hard covers or the slipcase, congratulations, those are amazing pieces of art, truly. Um, And congratulations to our High Priest, Magus... Peter H. Gilmore for, uh, you know, the success of this Kickstarter project as well. After all, this is uh, his brainchild, quite literally. Okay, so, what do we have on the docket for this week? Uh, In The Devil's Advocate, I actually, and here's something that always amazes me, I have listeners. (laughs) It is, for me, it's a big deal. I'm very humbled that people listen to this show, and uh, I'm very, very grateful for any feedback that I do get, even when it's bad. So thank you very much. You know who you are. You wanted to hear about satanic parenting. I gave you a little uh, taste, a little nibble <laughs> of one of my previous shows where I talked about raising satanic children. Uh, I'm also going to be talking about um, a little bit of that, but really mainly about just what I see parenting as. And again, parenting is something that is very dependent on the individuals uh, involved. So the children and the parents and their history. So I'm just going to give you mine. I'm going to give you my take on all of this. This is going to be informed partially by uh, not only my history and, and what I've, I've spoken to and, and Satanism in general, but also just uh, the experience that I've witnessed uh, growing up in a, a very, very large family. I mean, both of my older sisters have five kids each. My I'm one of five kids. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be drawing on that for, for this segment. So Satanic Parenting and the Devil's Advocate, look for that. And the Infernal Informant, undoing health law could have messy ripple effects. And moderation as the sweet spot for exercise. And in Creature Feature, I'm bringing you an interview that I did last week. This was Naughty Bits. 
I, if you haven't heard this podcast, you really should tune in. It's a lot of fun. Adeen and Heather are great hosts. They talk about sex, which, hey, I love that. And they add comedy to it, which, who doesn't love comedy? Unless you're having sex, because I think that, as a guy, is a little bit... I mean, if a girl starts laughing while you are in the middle of it, uh, let's just say uh, it's not going to end well. <laughs> um... <laughs> Your resolve begins to soften. <laughs> if, you, if you're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> Alright, and that's going to be the end of the entirety of the show. We're going to start it right now, kicking off another Nine Cents. Thank you for joining me. Um, and you know what? I didn't even do this. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's June 10th. Yay! June 10th. Great show starts now. Say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul, and it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. (laughs) I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Speaking of horrible accents, <laughs> I just go off on a rant about horrible accents and then I <laughs> do a bumper with me delivering a horrible... <laughs> Forget what I said before, I do not walk the walk, I am just as bad as everyone else. Alright, satanic parenting. Before I get into this, I want to preface it by giving you a, a couple liner notes that are incredibly important. And, and, and this comes... Because I think it's important to understand where I'm coming from. You have children, presumably, to gift the world. You're doing this, hopefully not for yourself. because, Or, or hopefully not to save a relationship. Because it's not going to happen. And one, yes, in some level... It's always for the parents that they have kids. They're like, oh, well, I can give something grand to the rest of the world. My offspring. Here they are. Uh, And it never really ends that great. I mean, there's a small fraction, but realistically, not so grand. So, uh, if you're going to have kids, make sure you're not doing it for the worst of reasons, which is to save a failing relationship, And make sure you go into it with your eyes open. Like, I understand if you are in the heat of passion and you don't wear your raincoat, if you know what I mean, and then you end up pregnant. Well, that decision to have the baby, to adopt the baby, to abort the baby is between you and your significant other and should be thought long and hard and genuinely look down the road and make an informed decision 
on whatever you're going to do. If you decide to have the children, however, there are a few things that you need to understand. One, children are not an extension of you. They do not take after everything that you do. They do not think the way you do. I mean, we have to stop and realize that <laughs> we, we refer to ourselves as the alien elite, Satanists. Um, and, and that's partially because we are very rare in the world. We have a particular worldview that's colored through our human ancestry, our, our, our cultural heritage as, as, a, as, as a world culture. We see a distinct perspective, that third side. Not everyone has that. And you have to realize that if you have children, they might not have that either. And yes, you're probably going to try to force it on them. Uh, just keep in mind that, I don't know about you, but I came from a, a household that tried to force something on me too. Religion, Mormon religion, and it really pushed me away. I mean, pretty much at eight years old, I knew that they were full of crap, and I stopped being a part of it all. So understand that it, children are non extension of you and you do not own them this i think is really hard for some people to grasp <laughs> having children is a responsibility it is a job it is a painful laborious and horribly expensive job and at best you can be moderately successful <laughs> let's be honest and, and success is truly just defined by you and your experience, but if everyone is expecting to have the honor student and the successful politician or the CEO businessman, well, chances are that's not you. So keep that in mind. So don't put un... un well, what's the word here? Don't put ridiculous expectations on your children, especially at a young age. Don't put music on your wife's belly uh, like headphones and expect the child to be smarter. Don't throw in videotapes and expect the child to absorb it um, because it's classical music and uh, stories being told. The best teacher that your children will ever have is observation and experience. Observation of you and your spouse. Period. Believe it or not, your ch child uh, will not see you as a superhero unless you act like a responsible human being. And then they'll see you as something different. Because, let's be honest, most parents are not responsible. They like to push off the parenting on food or television or school or religious institutions. Whatever they can do to get the responsibility away from themselves. And that's the worst case scenario. I honestly think it would be better just to abort the child or not have the child or not raise the child by uh, um, adoption than to raise a child like that. Okay, so now that we understand <laughs> where I'm coming from, <laughs> good or bad, here, here we are. Um, having children, you, you need to be in it for the long haul. And you need to be able, willing, to sacrifice your happiness at times, your need to be right and in control and your time more than anything else like i said before you have to spend the best teacher is going to be you spending time with your children do it and make sure you set aside a significant portion of your day with your children 
And that's right. I said day, not week, not month, day. You have to at all times be interacting with your children. And here's one thing that I, parenting as a Satanist, as in Adam's world here, does not involve talking down to your children. Meaning, now obviously, if my kids act up, uh, you know, <laughs> hell hath no fury like <laughs> like Adam. <laughs> because the point is, I, I don't put up with shit. I understand that uh, I am teaching what will be a responsible human being, hopefully a Satanist, but, you know, at this point they haven't identified themselves as anything yet, to be a responsible human being. And that means you have to be honest which is really hard because sometimes it means you're not going to be right and you're not going to be in the right. Uh, you're just going to have to deal with it. Be straightforward and honest with them. Don't talk down to them. I mean, these are <laughs> human beings. They're not cats or dogs or rabbits. I, I really don't ever believe in doing that baby talk to babies at all. I mean, present them with a worldview that's appropriate for their age Yes, you have to do that. Don't try to throw them in the world of finance or balancing checkbooks or or uh, adult rated R films before they are emotionally ready to deal with that. And that, honestly, is not an age thing. That's an emotional age thing. And that's something that only you as their parent are going to be able to determine when they're ready for it. Um, so present them with a realistic worldview. And this is one of the most important things. Not everyone is special. I know, I know that flies in the face of everything that you are presented with in our modern world. But let me tell you, not everyone is special. And all of your children, they will get participation awards. They will graduate, have graduation ceremonies for kindergarten. They will have graduation ceremonies for fourth and eighth and 10th and 12th grade. Uh, if you ask me, the only graduation ceremony that matters is high school and college. Everything else is fluff. You know, that's great. You know, Support them in their accomplishment of doing what they were supposed to do in the first place, which is move on to the next grade if they're in an institutional school and not homeschooled. But they are not special until they do something special. So don't constantly... Tell them, oh, it doesn't matter if you meet whatever expectation was put on you. That's okay, because you did it your way. Bullshit! That is not true, and that is not right. Because you teach them that, and someone else is going to have to deal with that later on. When they're not showing up to work on time, or not doing their job appropriately. Or not even trying to start their own job, because people should just come to them. They really have something to offer, and if other people don't see that, well then, you know, that's their problem. No, wrong wrong. You have to work in life. And teaching your kids that at a young age, you have to work. That doesn't mean backbreaking labor. That means you have to put in effort to get something out of your actions. Now, now, and this is actually a perfect way to start that foundation of lesser magic. Teaching them, <laughs> there is no greater tool in your lesson, lesser magic tool belt. Believe me this. Listen here. Write this down. There is no greater tool in Lesser Magic than knowing your limitations and what you're capable of. And unless you teach someone what work is, what ethics are, a work ethic, and what responsibility is, then they will never know what they are capable of, so they will be terrible at anything they try to do. Unless, of course, they're going to ride their lives on the participation award, in which case they're not good at anything. 
Okay, so don't talk down to your kids. Don't keep telling them that they're special. Only reward them when they do something of significance. And then give them appropriate praise. I'm not saying starve them of attention, but don't overindulge them in it because you're not doing them any favors. In fact, you're doing harm to them and everyone that has to follow you. Uh, Okay, and then understand, and and I've touched on this before, you're not always going to be right. You have to be prepared that at some point in your your, uh, child's life, they're going to catch you on uh, a slip-up. They're going to play you against your other significant other if there is one involved. They're going to become cunning. And you have to deal with that in a responsible adult way. That doesn't mean screaming at them and sending them to their room because they were smart. That means being an adult, being able to laugh at yourself, and being able to admit when you're wrong. And this has happened to me more than I like to admit. But my son has caught me in my own shit. And I have to tell you, one of my greatest accomplishments as a parent is allowing my son to not only fear me when he messes up, because I think children should fear the result of negative actions. Lex talionis, responsibility to the responsible. It's all a part of being a good Satanist. So if you mess up, you expect a reaction, and it's going to be a negative one. That doesn't mean it's abuse. It doesn't mean it's physical, but there is a negative reaction, and your children should fear it. So that's part of the reason why... uh, I know I did good, because when he does mess up, he he acts like, oh shit, now I've just been caught in something. But also, when you are spouting shit, meaning uh, meaningless blather, or or trying to convince them of something in a poor way, and, and just doing a horrible job of it, or trying to work some weird adult circular logic on them, and they catch you in it, that they can call you out. My son has called me out and stepped up. And he will argue a point if he genuinely feels right. And I have to love that and respect that. Because one, that means that he is a powerful human being who can stand up to someone that is much stronger and much more domineering than him. And he does it. And that makes me so happy. And he knows when. And that, this is another thing that is, is horribly important. And I don't think even most adults understand this. Pick your battles you're not always going to win every battle you you come on. I mean, life is a war. You're going to lose some battles. Sometimes you're going to take one on the chin, proverbial and literal. Be prepared to fail sometimes and then learn from that failure. And teaching your kids that is really, really important and it will serve them their whole lives. I talked earlier about being a part of your child's lives. Now, when I say spending time with them, I don't just mean sitting and staring at a TV screen or playing a video game with them, though I do think that that is part of it. But more importantly is actively spending time with them. Engage them with their minds. Get them out into the wilderness. Talk to them. If you see a movie together, spend some time afterward talking about what you saw and what he or she thought about the given circumstance, how they might have handled it differently if they would have. I mean, you have to have open discussion with your children and be honest with them. And here's something that I I don't know about anyone else, but uh, I I think is, is pretty important. And I spoke to understanding your child's emotional age, and only you as a parent are going to know that, but you have to continually address uh, life with them. So sex at the age that is appropriate for your child's emotional level, you have to talk about responsible, uh, sex 
with them, having sex. Uh, and, and that may be at 8, that may be at 15, whatever your child's you know, mind is at, wherever it is, you have to, you have, to have an open and honest discussion about it. One, you're going to serve them in it, even though it's a little bit embarrassing at first. Um, it is something that's important. They have to understand you know, things so that they don't end up with a kid when they're still a kid. I mean, you have to, have to, have to. I cannot say it enough. Tell your children to wrap that rascal or to ensure that those they're with will wrap it or else there's nothing that's going to happen and that they should never engage in sexual activity until they are emotionally ready for that. And hopefully, that's not until you're dead (laughs) as the adult so you don't have to deal with it. But, you know, you, you have to breach the subject. And then illegal substance. You have to talk about drugs. And don't even approach it. And this is just sort of my take on it. Don't approach it on a right versus wrong or a, a um, uh, well, if you do this, your f- brain will be fried like an egg and show them those stupid 80s commercials or, or that ridiculous uh, um, just say no bullshit. They're going to, chances are in our world, your kids are going to do drugs. You have to sh- express illegality aspect of it and you have to let them fail you do your damnedest to instill in them that drugs are illegal and you will not do them and this is what can happen it is important to explain the whole process but you can't babysit and you shouldn't babysit your children at all times Uh, so you have to be able to let them fail and that's going to sort of transition into another point that I think is incredibly important do not live your child's life Don't do their homework for them. If they don't do it, then they fail the grade and they have to take it over again. Or they fail the course and they suffer the negative grade impact because of it. But if you do your children's work, you're not giving them any service. You're actually doing a disservice just like telling them they're super special. They don't actually have to do their homework. They don't actually have to learn or understand anything. They don't have to wrap their brain around what it means. Because you're doing it for them. Don't let your teachers, you have to be on their teachers too. Don't let your children's teachers skate them by. You have to read with and to your children. You have to. Not only does it help them become literate and (laughs) able to read, but it's spending that time, that really important time with them and letting them know that you're not ignorant so that they have something to aspire to right at the get-go. If your children's... um, greatest exemplification of human existence is a made-up character, you're doing something wrong. You are a failure as a human being. So stand up. And even if you're busting your ass all day and you hardly get to see your kids because you're working so much and you have your wife or your uh, stay-at-home husband or your spouse watching your children, you don't get to see them very much when you do get to see them. Let them know what you do and why you can't see them as much as you want to. And make sure that the quality time you're spending with them is quality time. But, you know, you say something like that, don't stress over it too much. Don't worry, oh, is this day in the park, am I imparting any wisdom, or am I spending enough time with them, or am I pushing them too hard, or... Just remember that just being there with them, and, and sharing thoughts and ideas, and talking and interacting with them... And laughing with them. That is what is important. Uh, Being there for your kids when they fail. Meaning, you have to let your kids fail. And I touched on this before in in a number of of different ways. If your kid gets in a fight in the street, do not run out there and stop the fight unless life and limb is online. Okay? You have to let your kid take them on the chin sometimes. Because they're going to learn their limits that way. 
And this is this is tough love right there. And and this is informed not only by when I was growing up, my parents were big into the tough love thing, which I hated. Um, but I can't help at some level it actually did teach me some responsibility or at least consequence. And and, and that's a big thing. Uh, consequence and rewards. Make sure they understand that it's not just in physics that there is always an equal and opposite reaction. Um, there's always something that happens no matter what you do. Okay, so I guess in order to wrap this up, because I am going a bit long here, no matter what you do, your children will be able to adapt. Um, there are children who have abusive family lives that end up being amazing human beings. Now, they, don't, they have to work harder for it. And they can be successful, but they can. The, you, you have people coming from straight-up poverty and achieving things like the presidential title. Uh, that, that's a big deal. And, and it's possible. But you have to let them know that it's through hard work. So don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry if you snapped at them a little too hard and their feelings got hurt and they cried a little. They're going to get over that. What's important is the lesson that you're supposed to be teaching them over that snapping at them and that they're understanding that lesson. Don't worry about screwing up your kids. You're not going to screw them up. If you approach it the way I told you, that they are not extensions of you, that they are individuals and that they have their own lives to learn, experience, and understand... They have to come to their who they are uh, with your help, but by themselves primarily. I mean, you have to let them be them. And sometimes you're not going to like it. And you may end up hating it. But that's them. It is not you. Let them be who they are. And if they are Satanists, that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, but if they're not... They're still your children, and it doesn't matter. They don't have to believe what you believe. They don't have to think the way that you think. They just have to be responsible human beings that contribute to the society that they live in. That's it. And then try to have fun. Try to have fun. Try to laugh with them. Because if you're crying or you're angry or you're depressed more than you're laughing, you're doing it wrong. Period. And no matter how shitty life is, you can always find something to laugh about. Always. Even if it's your... Especially if it's yourself. Alright. So that's it. That's my wisdom. If you can call it that. Satanic parenting. If your kids aren't Satanists, don't be surprised. Not many people are. But those of us who are cannot be bad parents. Because you have to be self-actualized, in my opinion, or on your way to it, to be a Satanist. A real Satanist. And that means that you understand limits and you understand that you know what not everyone's like you and your kids aren't but you still have to love them you have to <laughs> because you're going to they're great alright um, thanks for sitting through that guys uh, if there's any questions feel free to shoot me an email or if you completely disagree with me uh, shoot me an email I'd love to hear from you about it, uh, it say just parenting in general um it's, it's something that is, is so challenging. There's never a book that's been written that's accurate on it. It's, it's always circumstance and experience, and everyone's different. You know, one size does not fit all. Let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. 
First article here, uh, undoing health law could have messy ripple effects. And this is actually MSNBC by Ricardo Alonso Zaldivar. Wow, that was rough. Uh, Associated Press, actually. It sounds like a silver lining. Even if the Supreme Court overturns President Barack Obama's health care law, employers can keep offering popular coverage for their young adult children of their workers. But here's the catch. The parents' tax would go up. That's only one of the messy potential ripple effects when the Supreme Court delivers its verdict on the Affordable Care Act this month. The law affects most major components of the U.S. health care system in its efforts to extend coverage to millions of uninsured people. Because this legislation is so complicated, an orderly unwinding would prove difficult if it were overturned entirely or in part. Better Medicare prescription benefits currently saving hundreds of dollars for older people with high drug costs would be suspended. Ditto for preventive care with no co-payments, no available, um, now available to retirees and uh, working families alike. Partially overturning the law could leave hospitals, insurers, and other service providers on the hook for tax increases and spending cuts without the law's promise of more paying customers to offset losses. If the law is upheld, other kinds of complications could result. The nation is so divided that states like uh, led by Republicans, are largely unprepared to carry out uh, critical requirements, such as creating insurance markets. Things may not settle down. Quote, at the end of the day, I don't think any of the major players in the health insurance industry or the provider community really want to see this whole thing overturned, end quote, said Christine Ferguson, a health policy expert who was, commissioned of, who was commissioner of public health in Massachusetts when Mitt Romney was governor. Even though this is not the most ideal solution, at least it is moving us forward, and it does infuse some money into the system for coverage, said Ferguson, now at George Washington University. As the GOP presidential candidate, Romney pledged to wipe Obama's laws off the books, but he defends his Massachusetts law that served as a prototype for Obama's. While it's unclear how the justices will rule, oral arguments did not go well for the Obama administration. The central issue is whether the government can require individuals to have health insurance and fine them if they don't. That mandate takes effect in 2014, at the same time that the law would prohibit insurance companies from denying coverage to people with existing health problems. Most experts say the coverage guarantee would balloon costs unless virtually all people join the insurance pool, um, which is a caveat is the point of fining people if they don't. Opponents say Congress overstepped its constitutional authority by issuing the insurance mandate. The administration says the requirement is permissible because it serves to regulate interstate commerce. Most people already are insured. The law provides subsidies to help uninsured middle-class households pay premiums and expands Medicaid to pick up more low-income people. The coverage for young adults uh, up to age 26 on a parent's health insurance is a popular provision that no one is arguing about. A report last week from the Commonwealth Fund estimated that 6.6 million young adults have taken advantage of the benefit, with a new Gallup survey showed that the uninsured rate for people age 18 to 25 continues to decline, down to 23% from 28% when the law took effect. Families will be watching to see if their 20-somethings transitioning into the workforce would get to keep that newfound security. 
Because the benefit is a winner with consumers. Experts say many employers and insurers will look for ways to keep offering it, even if there's no legal requirement to do so. But economist Paul Fronson of the Employee Benefit Research Institute says many parents would pay higher taxes as a result because they would have to pay for the young adult's coverage with after-tax dollars. Under the health care law, the coverage now comes out of pre-tax dollars. Fronson said there's no way to tell exactly how much that tax increase might be, but a couple hundred dollars a year or more is a reasonable ballpark estimate. Upper income taxpayers would have a greater liability. Adult children aren't necessarily dependents for tax purposes, but an employer can allow anyone to be on a plan. Just like now, they allow domestic partners, said Fronson. If your employer said, I'm going to let you keep this, it would be a taxable benefit for certain people. Advocates for elderly are also worried about untoward uh, about untoward ripple effects. That doesn't make sense. If the entire law is overturned, seniors with high prescription costs in Medicare's donut hole coverage gap would lose their annual discounts, averaging about $600. AARP policy director David Certner says he would hope the discounts could remain in place at least through the end of the <clears throat> excuse me through the end of the year. Yet that might not be possible. Lacking legal authority, Medicare would have to take away the discounts. Drug makers now bearing the cost could decide they want to keep offering discounts voluntarily, but then they run risk afoul of other federal rules that bar medical providers from offering financial inductments to Medicare recipients. I don't think anyone has any idea," said Certner. A mixed verdict from the high court would be the most confusing outcome. Some parts of the law would be struck down while others lurch ahead. That kind of result would seem to call for Congress to step in and smooth any necessary adjustments. Yet partisan divisions on Capitol Hill are so intense that hardly anyone sees a chance that this would happen this year. Okay, so that's the article. And this was actually um, published, I didn't say this before, on the 10th. And and this is my take on this. Uh, before the Affordable Health Care Act, which everyone on the right it calls Obamacare. There was socialized medicine. The problem is, is that we didn't see it that way. See, if you don't have insurance and you go to the emergency care, like you're taken care of by law. And that costs money. It costs a lot of money. A lot more than regular doctor visits would cost. And since you can't pay it because you don't have insurance... We pick up the dime. We pick it up by increased costs elsewhere, increased premium costs, or our just hospital costs go up, which directly affects us through the insurance. So you got to realize that no matter what, no matter what, everyone else is paying for these unresponsible people's health care that don't want health care. And you know what? I don't think you should have to buy health care. But I don't want to pay for it if you choose that. I don't want to be the one picking up your car accident uh, health care, your, your crushing bones or, or, or your broken skull. I don't want to put your eyeball back in your head because you're the unresponsible human being that is wasting my money. I don't appreciate that. It's not even about the money. It's about the responsibility aspect. How can you call yourself a human being? How can you call yourself an adult and expect to be acted treated like an adult if you're not even going to do something like, oh, I don't know, plan for a catastrophe that's going to happen. Everyone dies. I don't know if you're aware of this. And if you aren't, um, I'm sorry, spoiler alert for life, but everyone dies. Life 
is a terminal situation. We are all on our way to death. And how we get there, it all costs. And I don't want to pick up your bill. I already have to pick up my own and my kids. Alright, so do everyone else a favor and buy your own damn health care. And so if you are going to be a responsible human being, and you're not going to make me or my listeners or anyone else pick up the your bill, um, then why are you complaining about this uh, Affordable Health Care Act? Why do you care? It's no more... It's, it's actually less social medicine than it is forcing people to be responsible. You know, it's it, kind of funny seeing it that way. Um, I wonder if Basket Radio has ever talked about this. And I wonder if they look at it that way as well. Um, we'll have to look into that. It, it's forcing people to be responsible for themselves. That's an important thing. Especially when, if they aren't, it falls on you. Everyone should be caring about this. I don't care what political arena you're standing in. Or none, hopefully. I, I mean, I hope no one is like aligning themselves with any of these ridiculous parties. Um, okay, so that, that's my point. Uh, Supreme Court, you know what? I, I, I'm very skeptical that they're going to come back saying, oh, we're going to leave it as is because it would be too destructive if we didn't. They're probably going to come back and say, well, this provision is not legal, this provision is not legal, but the rest is legal. And that's going to throw everything up into a big mess, and this is not going to be taken care of, and everything that was uh, set to be a, a good position in 2014 is now going to be overturned, and we're all going to be suffering from the immense... And we're really slaves to this, too. I don't know if you see it that way like I do, but we are slaves. I had to uh, purchase my own health insurance. And it was $600 a month. $600 a month I was paying for health insurance. $600. I don't know if that's a big number to you guys, but that's a big number to me. And that pisses me off. Because I'm not paying $600 and seeing anything. I'm paying $600 and knowing that that's all going to go bye-bye. The way of the dodo. As soon as I go to a different plan. The only uh, caveat, I mean, now I'm in an HSA, which means that we keep all of our money, uh, which is great, but it's that initial startup period that's kind of scary because, uh, you know, in an HSA, hopefully you have an employer donating to it as well, but you're, you're putting your own money in, so you're basically paying out of pocket for all of your health care yourself. Um, and, and that can get expensive, obviously, but it's all pre-tax dollars, which whatever that means, um, you know, it's supposed to be better. It doesn't feel it in the pocketbook, but <laughs> it would feel worse, I suppose, if it weren't. Um, your employers are putting into it, hopefully, and um, hopefully you get a little bit of discount because you're doing that. Um, so, you know, it, I think the HSA is the only way to go about it, uh, health insurance, being a responsible human being, because then I get to keep everything I put into it, I'm paying myself everything that I'm putting out of it, and really I'm just suffering from the increased costs that everyone else is being irresponsible causing by not having health insurance or not paying for their health insurance. Um, so that's that article. Let's move on to the next one here, and this is New York Times. Moderation is the sweet spot for exercise. This is by Gretchen Reynolds, uh, June 6th. For people who exercise but fret that they really should be working out more, new studies may be soothing. The amount of exercise needed to improve health and longevity, this new science shows, is modest, and more is not necessarily better. 
That's the message of the newest and perhaps most compelling of the studies, which was presented on Saturday at the annual meeting of the American College for Sports Medicine in San Francisco. For it, researchers at the University of South Carolina Arnold School of Public Health and other institutions comb through the health records of 52,656 American adults who'd undergone physicals between 1971 and 2002 as part of the Aerobic Center Longitudinal Study at the Cooper Institute in Dallas. Each participant completed physical testing and activity questionnaires and returned for at least one follow-up visit. The researchers found that about 27% of the participants reported regularly running, although in wildly varying amounts and paces. The scientists then checked death reports. Over the course of the study, 2,984 of the participants died, but the incidence was much lower among the group that ran. Those participants had on average a 19% lower risk of dying from any cause than non-runners. Notably, in closely parsing the participants' self-reported activities, the researchers found that running in moderation provided the most benefits. Those who ran 1 to 20 miles per week at an average pace of about 10 or 11 miles a minute, uh, in other words, jogging, reduced their risk of dying during the study more effectively than those who didn't run. Those admittedly few who ran more than 20 miles a week and those who typically ran at a pace swifter than 7 miles an hour. These data uh, certainly support the idea that some running is, or more running is not needed to produce extra health and mortality benefits, said Dr. Carl J. Lavi, Medical Director of Cardiac Rehabilitation and Prevention at the Oshner Medical Center in New Orleans, and an author of the study, if anything. He continued, It appears that less running is associated with the best protection from mortality risk. More is not better, and actually, more could be worse. His analysis echoes the results of another new examination of activity and mortality, in which Danish scientists used 27 years' worth of data collected for the continuing Copenhagen City Heart Study. They reported that those Danes who spent one or two and a half hours per week jogging at a slower average pace during the study period had longer lifespans than their more sed sedentary peers, uh, and than those who ran at a faster pace. This decidedly modest amount of exercise led to an increase of an average 6.2 years in the lifespan of male joggers and 5.6 years in women. We can say with certainty that regular jogging increases longevity, Dr. Peter Schoner, a cardiologist and author of this study, said in presenting the findings at a clinical meeting organized last month by the European Association for Cardiovascular Prevention and Rehabilitation. The good news is that you don't actually need to do that much to reap the benefits. The relationship appears more like alcohol intakes. He continued, mortality is lower in people reporting moderate jogging than in non-joggers or those undertaking extreme levels of exercise. There's further confirmation of the idea in the findings of a large study of exercise habits published last year in The Lancet, which showed that among a group of four... Yeah, 416,175 Korean adults, 92 minutes a week of moderate exercise like walking, gentle jogging, or cycling, increases 92 minutes, that's it, increases lifespan by about three years and decreases the risk of mortality for any cause by about 14%. In that study, those who embark on more ambitious exercise programs did gain additional risk reduction, as seems only fair, but the benefits plateaued rapidly. For each further 15 minutes a week of moderate exercise that someone completed beyond the first 92, his or her mortality risk fell, but only about 4%. 
Whether and at what point more exercise becomes counterproductive remains uncertain. In general, it appears that exercise, like any therapy, results in a bell-shaped curve in terms of uh, response and benefit, says Dr. James H. O'Keefe, a cardiologist and lead author of the thought-provoking review article published on Monday in Mayo Clinic Proceedings that examines whether extreme amounts of vigorous exercise, particularly running, can harm the heart. To date, the data suggests that walking and light jogging are almost uniformly beneficial for health and do increase lifespan, Dr. O'Keefe says. But with more vigorous or prolonged exercise, the benefits can become questionable. I'm a fan of distance running, he adds. I run, but after about 45 to 60 minutes a day, you reach a point of diminishing returns, and at some point you risk toxicity. His advice? The study by Dr. Lavi and his colleagues offers excellent guidelines for safe and effective exercise, Dr. O'Keefe says. 20 miles a week or less of jogging at about 10 or 11 minute mile pace can add years to your lifespan. That's very good news. Indeed it is, especially since that routinely happens to replicate almost exactly my own weekly exercise regime. Uh, regimen. Uh, I would I wouldn't automatically discourage people from doing more if they really want to and are not experiencing side effects like extreme fatigue or repeated injuries, Dr. Keith continued. But the message from the latest data is that the sweet spot for exercise seems to come with less. Uh, and so I guess my take on this, the most important thing, if you are concerned with exercise as a mean as a means of extending your life, exercising is the key. <laughs> okay, if you're not doing anything nowadays, if you're living your life in just hedonistic excess, well, that's fine. You're not being really responsible, but that's fine. But don't complain when you die of cardiac arrest. <laughs> All right, I mean, just be you know, expect that to happen, um, and expect not to live as long. Now, I don't know. I don't know about you, and this is just me. I know not a lot of people agree with me about virtually anything, but take it for what it's worth. I do like to live. <laughs> I'm a fan of life. There are some amazing things that happen when you're alive. <laughs> and when you're dead, nothing happens. Because you're dead. So let's extend this as long as possible. That's how I see it. Um, so if that means that I exercise uh, as much as <laughs> possible, and for me, that ends up being realistically four to five times a week, about 45 minutes or less each time. You know, it, it's like 35 to 45 minutes on average. Uh, each day that I exercise, um, that's that's generally where I land, and I'm I'm happy with that. I I don't do it for the life benefits, though I do truly appreciate that. I do it so I look good naked, <laughs> because let's be honest, you you don't want to you don't look like a monster. <laughs> At least I don't, and uh, I I feel like it's well received by my partner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, my wife likes it, so I like it. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, so that's why I do it. Uh, you know, you want to look good naked. I mean, bottom line. But even if you don't want to look good naked and you want to extend your life, ex exercise a little bit. And if you're not doing anything nowadays, that's just not really responsible. I mean, it's your choice. Do whatever you want. I don't care. But uh, exercise is good for you. Just don't go overboard. And for those of you who are, like, fanatics, um, read this article or listen to me reading this article and, uh, ha ha, <laughs> because you're not getting anything out of it except for damaging your joints and uh, your, your muscles. Uh, bottom line. And you could actually end up with a stroke, too. You might as well just not do anything if you're going to overdo it. So uh, moderation in everything. And i got to tell you, every Epicurean, every Satanist should be understanding that. Moderation in everything. Indulge responsibly. All right, and that's going to do it for the Infernal Informant. Let's go ahead and uh, take a short break. 
Actually, no, I'm, I'm running really late. I'm not going to take a break. We're going to dive right into Naughty Bits interview. Uh, enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Oh, God. No. Just me. <laughs> Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I've got two very special guests. I'm being joined by Heather Height and Adina Ardennis from Naughty Bits. I just thought I should uh, highlight another fantastic podcast out there, which is actually probably not a good thing because then you're not going to listen to my show and you're going to just start listening to theirs but um it might be a, that might be worth it in the long run anyway so thank you both for joining me how are you thanks a lot for having us i'm good thanks i'm doing pretty good just rolled out of bed so. <laughs> man rolling out of bed at four o'clock huh uh well six o'clock here but yeah it's the best way to start the day late <laughs> All right, so uh, l- let me just sort of start and introduce both of you to the show, um, or maybe have your, you introduce yourselves to the show. Heather, um, can you say just maybe a little bit about yourself? I know everyone knows you're a comedian and a very funny woman, but uh, do you have like a little, a little bit you can sort of give us? Well, sure. Um, yeah, no, I'm a comedian and funny. That's about it. Sweet. Adine, <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. uh, <laughs> what about you, man? Uh, the, uh Pretty much, uh, pretty much nothing. I'm a gra- uh, grad student and I'm a writer on the side. It's pretty much, and then I, you know, I do naughty bits with Heather. And she forces me. So <laughs> she forces me. <laughs> I'm off the dominatrix, apparently. And, and I mean, it is a little odd because it, I, I wouldn't suspect that both of you would fit together with the show, and yet you do it really well. So, what was the genesis of you guys getting together and and doing this? I actually um, met Adine at. I think it, the, it was at uh, Marilyn Mansfield's house, I believe. Right, Adine? Yep. Is that where we met? Okay. And he almost incessantly talks about sex. <laughs> it's his favorite topics. And we couldn't, there, from that moment on, we could not, like, get into a conversation without it becoming something about sex or um, sexuality issues and that things of that nature and I've wanted to do a um a podcast about sexuality and um sexual health and things like that for about a year and a half before I even met a dean and I just thought he would be perfect because he's actually passionate about talking about it not just to be a pervert but also <laughs> like intellectually passionate about talking about sex and he likes to research things and so I just thought that he would be a good fit and we are personality wise so incredibly different and I thought that that you know clashing might actually work well together so you don't just have two people just yesing each other the entire show yeah, you know continuous stream of yes and yeah uh, and, and I think you do end up seeing that a lot in, in podcasts uh, and uh, it's nice to have that sort of uh, play between the two of you do you think a lot of it comes from uh you know, one's heterosexual and the other is homosexual, or do you think it's one's male and one's female? I mean, do you have any uh, values that you attribute to that, or is it all just wrapped up in personality? I think it's mostly personality. Um, the one thing that we both have in common is is 
desperately trying not to be pigeonholed mm-hmm. according to what someone else would label us. If, if you would disagree with any of this at all, Adine, feel free to chime in. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, I like being pigeonholed. Good. <laughs> sounds good so far, right? <laughs> sounds so, great so far. <laughs> so as far as, as that goes, we, um, yeah, I really think that it's our own individual personalities that kind of clash and plus our ages are very different i have kids that are older than him well you know so he yeah (laughs) so he you know (laughs) is that ever weird um adine for you uh you're you're dealing with a very uh mature woman who is uh very funny and i mean is it ever intimidating at all or are you just stay on par with her the whole time and you're good to go i i wouldn't say i'm not on par with her but i i think i I keep up really well. <laughs> it, it seems way too arrogant to ever be intimidated. <laughs> it's not arrogance if it's true. <laughs> it's self-awareness. Nice, nice. Well, let me ask you this: you you, you thought each other would be a, a fantastic fit, and you're right for this show together. What about the format? Um, this follows a very live radio feel to it. Um, very little to no editing, uh, live show, live call-in, everything's uh, videoed. Was there ever a thought that um, maybe that's maybe that's too raw? I, or, or just going into it, maybe you were so used to it, Heather, from um, uh, Hate Speech Radio, that, that that's just sort of, you know, how, how you roll. I think that it's, it's a combination of things. Certainly, I was kind of raised on the raw, open format through hate speech radio and also there's nothing else that that covers what we cover and in you know with with the uh male female talk most of it's very uh, serious and very formulaic and laid out and and i wanted to do something that was a combination of those things like a combination of like a news talk and just open you know vulgarity yeah. <laughs> so i i didn't want to I'm not good at being confined and scripted, but I, I also want to have some direction. So, yeah, I just want everything, basically. Nice, nice. That's a, that's a pretty big cake. <laughs> but you're pulling it off. It's a lot of fun, and you get some really amazing guests on. Uh, who were who some of your favorite? How about you, Adina? Who's your favorite? I think you can guess. Uh, <laughs> well, t- <laughs> uh, the Maverick Men uh, are my two favorite uh, gay porn stars, so I was beyond thrilled when I emailed them and they said yes to coming on. We've had them on twice. Nice. They're, all, they're yeah, amazing absolutely. human beings as well, and really funny and, and cool to hang out with. They're real good guys. They, they're my favorite, too. They're, they're, they're up. Earth guys and uh, smart. They're not just, you know, uh, dumb, good-looking guys, so they're, yeah. they're awesome. Uh, and Tallulah Solis, uh, she, she teaches... Uh, female orgasm workshops. Yes, I heard that episode. Oh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> uh, and I love Lainey Spicer, too. And she was a good talker. <laughs> but she has so many amazing stories because she's been working with porn stars like pretty much her entire adult life and um, has written several books and now wrote a book based on interviews with porn stars about their favorite sexual encounters. Nice. And She's very easygoing, and just she's just an all-around cool chick, and she's also very helpful, like career, like she supports 
be in the career. She supports our show. She's a very cool person, a very good guest. Very cool. Well, when did you guys start doing Naughty Bits? I, we sort of skimmed right past that after the concepting here. Um, I mean, ha- has it been a little over a year, two years? I think it's been almost a year. Almost a year. <laughs> it seems like we've always been doing it, but I believe it started last July. That's great. <laughs> What's up? I uh, said so now it's just a bit of part of the you know routine of the week. Yeah. Like, oh, it's Tuesday. <laughs> and how do you how do you uh, I, I guess schedule your show? I mean, do you do you go into it a week at a time, or are you uh, you know you've got a, a forecast of well, this is what we want to talk about on this day? I mean, I mean, how do you how do you produce this? Again, it's kind of like a a struggle between um, Adina and I. Really want to be organized. <laughs> but we're also a combination of busy and procrastinators. Mostly me, I think. I'm assuming. <laughs> but so we do. We try to plot out. Okay, these are our goals. These are th- these are shows that we want to do topics on. And um, but if we don't meet a goal, we don't. We still do a show, and we we'll pull stories, or we'll just have a free form conversation, or whatnot. But but we do. We'll set little goals and things that we want to want to cover, you know, or mm-hmm. topics that are important to us. Yeah, we have a little topic of, or we have a little list of topics and guests we want to have. It's pretty much when are we, uh, when we get around to it, we'll do it. Um, it's it's yeah, it's somewhat of a free for all. Though we do try so hard. <laughs> <to plug it. laughs> Uh, well, I mean, Heather, you've been doing this for a long time with uh, Hey Speech Radio, and I would imagine that this, you know, just uh, comes really naturally. Um, Adine, is, is this is this something? And I know with with people who usually start podcasts, uh, myself included, uh, there kind of comes a time where you're like, "Wow, can I keep this up? Um, do I want to really keep this up? You know, has that ever crossed your mind yet? Or are you still are you still in the courtship phase?" <laughs> I guess the courtship phase, I just, I like talking. <laughs> so, and with the podcast, they're forced to listen to a degree. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, no, it, it never crossed my mind. I just, I had been dying for years uh, to, to have a, a place where I can just sit and talk about uh, sex with somebody. And um, when Heather brought up the podcast idea, I was, I was thrilled because I, I didn't have a, a place where I can just sit there and talk about sex. Most of the people that I surrounded myself with back in Michigan, they weren't interested. So that, In sex same. or in talking about it? In talking about it. <laughs> no, I, like all of Michigan is just asexual. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess they weren't interested in sex. You know, you know, what they called sex, I called jacking off with an ass instead of your hand. <laughs> <laughs> That was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Uh, are you ever intimidated by some of the people you have on your show who who really live like, for example, the author you were just speaking to, Heather? Um, you know, th- they are in this scene their whole lives. Um, yeah. Is it ever something where you're just uh, sort of taken aback by their their expertise, or is this just just really fun? It's it's mostly fun, and because of the nature of the people that we seem to encounter in this business, um, there's not a lot of pretension on their part, so they, they make you feel at ease. There's always that little nagging thing in the back of my head where 
you know, gee, she's going to find me out. <laughs> you know, like, you're <laughs> as, as talented or in, ingrained in this industry, you know, with writing or pornography or, you know, radio or any of it, I'm still just a baby at it. So there's always that little thing in the back of the head, like that I'm not worthy, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but for the most part, again, you know, just like a Dean, I'm pretty arrogant. And so it doesn't normally bother me, <laughs> but like, as far as people like Lainey and even, um, Cole and Hunter, they're both, they're all very down to earth people and they're very welcoming and, and they want more people to be involved in their projects and support and have some symbiotic relationships with people in the media. Lainey also lends us a lot of guests from, she, um, represents girls for a penthouse. Oh, very cool. And so we get a lot of the penthouse pets that call in are through Lainey. So, um, we've just been so accepted and because of, of hate speech radio, I have a little bit, uh, you know, some people know of me on there mm-hmm. and that we've been doing it for so many years that like, I guess I feel like I have a little bit of clout or something <laughs> so that I don't feel too intimidated talking to people. It's most, it's all, um, like a learning process. And I'm th- so thrilled to get, um, to get into somebody's head who's been right. Cause I do my own writing like I do essays on sexuality and, um, you know, I'm writing like other stuff too. And it's neat to talk to people about how they were, they were, um, inspired or influenced to do what they did, you know? So it's like a free classroom. (laughs) Taking notes constantly. Yes. That's great. Um, what's your goal with, with, uh, naughty bits? I mean, how far into the future do you see this going and what is, I'm, I'm, do you, I guess, do you even have a goal other than, uh, delivering comedy and information and having fun. I would love to, um, of course, my goal in everything is to eventually stop doing things for free. Here, here. <laughs> I would very much like to be able to get sponsors and because of um, the internet being what it is, I, I want to uh, have sponsors that don't have an opportunity to advertise their products in other mediums, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I would like to make money <laughs> doing this. Would be I would. I'm surprised someone like Adam and Eve hasn't tapped you already. Yeah, you know they're hacks. <laughs> I, no, I mean that would be nice, but Adam and Eve has the money to to advertise on, on other. You know they, they they keep their commercials pretty clean. Mm-hmm. You know, so they can do. They've been on. They're on regular radio. You know. Yeah. But I'm talking about products for uh, like people who manufacture bullwhips and paddles, you know, really aren't going to get advertised on um, terrestrial radio, oh, you know. Or the monster, <laughs> monsterdildo.com. Monsterdildo.com would be somebody that we would advertise. <laughs> You'd have to speak from experience on part of that live read for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's doing a live read for Monster Dildo. <laughs> I think somebody needs to speak out for them. Yeah, there's the <laughs> silence in the world. There's a void. Baby Jesus butt plug just isn't getting the media that it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> as, as soft as a baby's behind, <laughs> but as firm as Jesus on the cross. <laughs> uh, that was my light rally read for them. <laughs> that was good. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, 
Heather, you are also a very funny comedian. You just had an award. What was that all about? You just won a little contest, right? Yes, it was actually a, a comedy video contest. It was just a piece of, of uh, like, a stand-up routine. Mine, not just anybody's, because mm-hmm. I would have sent like, Carlin or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was for um, ComedyThatMatters.com by, um, <laughs> what's his name? Jeff Gurian. I always want to call him Jerry Garand. And <laughs> Jeff, close. What's really ridiculous is I've spoken to him several times. Like it's, I know his name. Got <laughs> name, but anyway, um, Jeff Gurian has a website where he interviews um, comics. He does articles about comedy in the industry. He has a uh, a YouTube page, and he held, held this contest where he sent a three minute clip of your set, and then he said it. He picked out of all the entries five finalists and then posted them and had people vote on their favorite one and i ended up winning so it's i am the comedian who matters fantastic well congratulations <laughs> on that that's amazing thank you thank you adine what else are you into man other than naughty bits uh, meaning what do I do or what am I in, into? Because that sounds like... What's you, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your passion uh, aside from uh, live radio? Uh, sex, actually. <laughs> I, it fits I, perfectly. Much, foundation to everything I do, even in grad school, that's what I study is sexual behavior and uh, uh, relationships and uh, the rules of relationships in different cultures. I'm obsessed with... Uh, human behavior and that's kind of uh, what I try to when I call Heather about hey let's do this or that it's usually the topics that I bring up uh, is uh, like doll fetishism is what we're going to do uh, this week uh, with uh, Marilyn Mansfield uh. damn it I was going to be talking about um, artificial companions uh, but now I'm not going to have <laughs> I'm going to have to wait till you guys do your little stint on it before I do mine. Well, Meryl, as far as Marilyn's concerned, it's not really a fetish. Oh, you know, yeah. She's it's like more a of a <laughs> She's more of a collector. <laughs> but well, an enthusiast, you know, she doesn't she's not turned on by her doll collection. <laughs> no, but to an extent I, I like when I talked to her on the phone, I, I made the argument that I could call it a fetish. Uh, it's just that. It's somewhat sexual, but that's we'll save that for the show. Uh, oh, okay, that's interesting. Right. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, at some level, isn't every every obsession something that turns you on? So, in a way, yeah. I mean, it may not be your libido that's getting getting off, but something is. <laughs> that's why I, I I make the argument in one essay I'm getting ready to publish that we're even attract we're even sexually attracted to our friends, which yeah. is I guess maybe I shouldn't put that in writing because all my friends are straight. So. <laughs> you're trying to turn them all <laughs> maybe it's I suppose since it stimulates the same chemical production in the brain you know yeah. just like looking at your child's face stimulates the same chemical reaction as having sex it's just not you know processed the same way emotionally mm-hmm. so I suppose it is an argument that could be had Dean. <laughs> babies get uh, boy uh, male babies get a boner when they're breastfed I love that. That's true. <laughs> but uh, no, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, I I research, uh, I write, and I garden. I'm a big gardener, so Darren Diazide and I are been working real hard to get our tomatoes going. Really? Is that tough in the city? 
Uh, no, we have a we have a, a nice sized backyard, and it's it's pretty private back there. And we uh, we treated the soil, and we we took it really seriously. So nice. I guess it's hard if you don't have a backyard. But there's even places around New York where you can rent space. You have to rent dirt. Yeah, can like community believe? gardens or something. Yeah, I said I still can't wrap my head around the idea because I'm from Michigan. Yeah, that I have to rent. Dirt's dirt. just free everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dirt's a right, man. <laughs> go down to Occupy Wall Street and carry a sign. <laughs> Occupy the street. fucking botanical garden. <laughs> Add it to the Bill of Rights. You can't own a flower, man. <laughs> <laughs> These nutrients are mine. They're ours. Yeah. Um, okay, well, hey, would you guys be comfortable uh, maybe rapping a little bit about some uh, abstract notions of sex? I was, uh, I was thinking the other day. <laughs> about something uh, one of my college professors said, and I thought it would be perfect for this interview. Um, so if you're okay with it, maybe I'll steal a little bit of the Naughty Bits Thunder. Yeah, shoot. All right, so I'm hoping you haven't covered this already because that would be kind of shitty, but um, I mean... All the better because that means that we might have something to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Well, uh, talking about art imitating life and life imitating art and um, taking that a step further into porn. So my college professor was uh, giving us this big spiel about art imitating life, and he sort of took it to the next step on how um, uh, the porn industry is where that doesn't apply, and, and that at the core is my argument. Um, but he was saying that, you know, uh, people watch porn and they sort of just internalize it and they keep it to themselves uh, maybe specifically men but also sometimes women and they don't ever react with that and they don't use that as um, uh, a, a, a group thing um, and I'm not sure I'm articulating this properly here but my argument back is that uh, just like art initially imitates life I, I, I think there is a point, and I think we see a lot nowadays, that, that life very much imitates art, especially when you're talking about nostalgic uh, retro fashion or music uh, or just cultural lifestyles that we all sort of latch on to decades associating with, and, and, and that follows suit with porn. Um, so, And I don't know about you guys, but certainly in the bedroom, I find myself... Uh, very much imitating shit that I've seen because I thought it was great, you know? So what are your thoughts on this? I think it's as... I, I agree with you. It's, um, for lack of a better word, a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, porn starts off with, well, people tend to like this. Like, I have a... I'm starting a collection of vintage porn that I share with some of my buddies. Nice. And it's all very basic. And... Um, it's very much like these, like porn from the fifties, where women are just masturbating and wearing clothes that you would see on uh, norm everyday women. Uh, now it goes back and forth. Now, most most people I run into around my age, they see something in porn, it looks good, so they do it. And uh, but that's not where porn started. It was just these things turn everybody on. Now it's very much the opposite. Uh, so I yeah I agree with you that art imitated life, but now it's life imitating art. You can even extend that to uh, romance comedies. People seem to build their relationships around these silly notions that we see in movies. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a good sum. <laughs> I've had I've had like ideas that that I thought of myself, and then decided to like kind of Google it and see if there was anything you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and was surprised 
and totally delighted to find that there were there were videos and such a, based on things that I thought of or fantasized about. So I don't know. <laughs> is that is that liberating? Um, do you think in, in some part of you that there are others out there, or or is it a little bit like, hey, it's, that's my fucking idea? There's a little bit of both of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one that likes splice waters on my tits. Me. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. There's something that I can view that I've conceived of in my head. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like bringing. It's sort of. It's like I'm using the secret. <laughs> I'm manifesting. <laughs> yeah, that's your move. <laughs> I'm manifesting porn videos that are to my liking into the universe. <laughs> but uh, only so I, I think that, like, I don't know where the seeds were planted for for whatever you know. Like, I I love spanking porn, mm-hmm. and there's a mm-hmm. lot of different scenarios that I've thought up in my head, and then I look it up or happen upon like somebody made a video of that. That's fantastic, you know. I don't know where the the germination of that came from germany <laughs> you know the germination came yeah. from germany yeah, yeah from germany. and um from the dean's garden yeah. <laughs> but uh i i know that it's something that i remember thinking about from the time i was really young this was something that was titillating to me which is i it seems weird but i know i've thought of this for a long time i have i'm very good at thinking about spanking porn <laughs> that's cool oh yeah you're you're the so, queen of thinking about that <laughs> so when i see something that ha- and you know i'm to the point where it, there's little tiny nuances certain facial expressions or sounds or whatever that i look for and the, the fact that they exist is a little liberating so because i because it's something that i kind of crave i'm glad it's out there more than i'm mad that somebody else thought of it <laughs> <laughs> always thrilled when I see something or meet somebody uh, that has the same fetish that I do because that means I'm like hey this person and I can have a great role in the sack mm-hmm. <laughs> except when I like uh, our friend Lady Zombies come on the show uh, twice now she uh, her and I both have a monster fetish uh, like werewolves raping bitches you know <laughs> yeah. um, the problem is that she has a vagina so I can't <laughs> I can't really do this with her. I'm sure she'd be happy to strap one on for you. <laughs> no, it doesn't do it for me. Uh, you know, no. Tits with, tits with a strap on. You like That's something that will react to what I'm doing to it. Uh <laughs> Uh, that's funny, and that's actually something that I I, I find interesting. Um, I've never. I don't know, maybe it's uh, where I'm from or something, but I, I, I'm not sure I, I really grasped So when you think of vagina, is it like a repulsive thing? No, I do. I put on that act frequently on the show. I don't know why. I really have no idea why I do it. It's but... kind of though. <laughs> huh? It's kind of funny, though. I like when I pulled up the picture of the vagina, you're like, look at that. But it's very stereotypical, I, I, I think. Whether it comes from a place of reality or not, like that, that notion... That, that gay guys really just are repulsed by it, it's sort of this stereotypical thing, which which is weird that you would put on that act unknowingly, especially if you're trying not to be pigeonholed. Yeah, I think that... I I think I, I'm sorry to talk for Adina, but I think I understand what he's doing because I will sometimes start out making fun of something that I don't like until I'm to the point where I'm almost exemplifying it. <laughs> the joke just goes too far. It's like a running gag. 
that lasts a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. it's it, it, I I'm not repulsed by it. It's it's I look at it and I'm like, what? I don't see the attraction. Mm-hmm. What is it about this hole where a penis should be that's so stimulating? There's something wrong here. <laughs> it's uh. It's even even when I after I came out that I was gay in school and to my parents I was still uh, sleeping with girls and I just uh, I, I just couldn't un- for the life of me understand it like this is it's like trying to explain to an aunt the way television works is the way someone is when a straight guy tells me how awesome women are mm-hmm. I'm like I, I I don't understand <laughs> it's I open. feel that way about about being bisexual I don't understand how everybody can't be attracted to both sexes I don't I the thought of being attracted to one gender seems really boring and like two-dimensional to me you know yeah and so. is it like that Adina where um, you you're just not attracted to women or do you appreciate the female form at all oh I appreciate the female form I um, I go to uh, I go to strip clubs with my straight buddies um, is it well I think it's funny that I'm getting a lap dance and the stripper looks disappointed when I'm not getting a party. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. (laughs) It's literally you, not me, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Exactly. But it's, uh, yeah, I appreciate the the female form and I can look at women and go, wow, you're gorgeous. Uh, But it's, it's, it's just not sexual. It's yeah. it's kind of like looking at a at a, a Botticelli painting, you know, just kind of like, oh, that's pretty. <laughs> it's funny you say it like that because that's that's sort of where I'm coming from when when uh, I I can absolutely uh, understand Heather's point and really appreciate it because like when my my mom was an artist and so when she had the sex talk air quotes there with me, it was through her life drawing, and so I always associated. Um, the male and the female form as this auto-sexual, um, attractive thing. Even though yeah. I'm very much heterosexual, I don't, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not like opposed to finding men attractive. And, and so, and I, I, I did a show about this, um, months ago, um, when I first started doing Nine Cents, talking about, um, what it means to be a human being and, at what point you graduate, um, I'm not sure if that's the right uh, term there, from just focusing on one sexuality to sort of transcending sexuality, how there's there's people in our society that have transcended sexuality. Like, I don't know a guy in the world who wouldn't fuck Brad Pitt, given the opportunity. So uh-huh. so he sort of transcended that. Well, he's, he's not quite a man, because he's too beautiful, but he's not quite a woman, because he's got junk, so... You know, and and that's just one small example of the multitude of human beings that would fit that. And I don't know if it's success in life. I don't know if it's strictly um, a visual thing. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm I'm of the mind that um, attraction is more conceptual, but until you actually get in the sack with somebody. Uh, Darren and I were talking about uh, the other night. We were uh, sitting in his apartment drinking whiskey, and we were talking about uh, talent crushes. Uh, I've, I've had crushes on, uh, like, I have a, my, my, one of my favorite musicians is um, Marilyn Manson, and though he's not physically attractive, <laughs> I'd fuck him in a heartbeat, <laughs> because I love the music so much. Uh, 
So when you give me the example of Brad Pitt, it's it's not really transcending sexuality. It's more of uh, it, it's in just an abstract attraction. But I guarantee you, if a straight guy got into his bed as soon as he saw him naked, he'd be like, no, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> it's uh, it's it, uh, thinking about something and doing it are two very different things. Oh, yeah. I, a few times a year, I go. I'm uh, primarily a bottom, uh, but a few times a year I go, you know, where I want to reverse the role. And I know when that time is coming because I'll start looking at women more sexually. And I watch straight porn. I don't really like gay porn all that much. Uh, but once I, in the in the past, I would go on a date with a woman to see if I was bisexual, and I'd lie to her and say I was straight. And then once we got back to her place and she spread her legs, I'm like, oh fuck, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Can we just cuddle? <laughs> oh, screw that. I'm like, no, sorry, I'm gay. <laughs> I thought you said you were straight. I'm like, yeah, well, I was wrong, wasn't I? <laughs> uh, do you uh, do you concede with that, Heather? Yes, I very much do. <laughs> so is it something where you think that uh, maybe it's even uh, encouraged to, to maintain that fantasy side of it rather than the follow-through? I think so. I like when I say that I'm attracted to an actor. Like the other day, um, I was watching American History X, and I would totally fuck Edward Norton, but he would have to be in that character, mm. <laughs> and he'd have to be the bad. And I don't even like skinheads, but he would have to be in that bad character when before he he became like enlightened in prison, yeah. where you know. Sporting the tattoo, probably. <laughs> yeah, when he was fucking curb stomping the dude. Freaking curb stomping badass skinhead. They're like, like it's it's about the characters that they play. If if I was gonna fuck Brad Pitt, he would have to be Tyler Durden. Oh yeah. I was doing it. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, whereas in my twenties he would have had to be, you know, Louis from Interview with a Vampire. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh. That's that's one thing that's interesting. That's as far as aesthetics go, and what I'm attracted to has changed since I've gotten older. Is I've moved from being attracted to almost almost infeminate male figures who are more artsy mm-hmm. to m- more like uber masculine male figures, which I don't understand how or when that transition occurred. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I find myself doesn't make any sense uh, I don't know anthropologically I guess <laughs> like I, I'm get to the end of my breeding years I maybe I was trying to <laughs> like I, I love that term let me let me show you really quick the end of my breeding years <laughs> that, that's like the your your life story title for your book in, in many years when you decide to write a book about yourself <laughs> my breeding years yeah, I, I, I might have been instinctually trying to breed for bigger brain children or beautiful children and now I you know if I were to breed it would be for like MMA fighters or something <laughs> yeah Louie would not fit the archetype <laughs> uh, no but Tyler Durden totally <laughs> see and in American History X I was all up with uh, Feruza Balk I, uh, yeah the only woman I've ever been consistently attracted to is she the creepy girl from the witch movie yeah, um, I hate her. Do you really? Oh. 
I love her so much. I was mad that she was his girlfriend in the movie. Oh, man. <laughs> she's so annoying. She's got those... And I know a lot of guys are into her. She's got those crazy eyes. and she's just... Oh, I don't know. There's something repulsive about her. I mean, she I'm sure she's fine. She Dorothy in Return to Oz. Did she? Yeah. She, wait, what? In Return like, to Oz. The, the, oh, yeah. She was nine. That was her first movie. Yeah. The movie about the little girl who goes back to the prison, right? That's yeah, yeah. Oz. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, I mean, I grew up with that, it was like watching that. And so I was like, oh, it's Dorothy. She's a pretty little black-haired girl. And then I saw her in American History X. I was like, oh, she's not a little girl anymore. <laughs> in the return to Oz, she is in, in the mental institution, right? Yeah, she goes and gets like electroshock or something like that. Or she was going to before she went back to Oz. Because the I read a few of the books and she's they they get weirder and weirder. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of the <laughs> Dorothy then. What's that? I said uh, yeah. I've never read the books, but if that's the way it was going, I can see why they picked her to play Dorothy. She's freaking yeah. crazy. You ever read the interviews with her? No. She's nuts. I love it. <laughs> she's not IRL. <laughs> she's what? I said she's nuts IRL. No, just nuts. In real life. Oh, he is crazy. <laughs> Come on, man. It's text isms. I was speaking his lingo. He's like in his 20s. I thought you could... No, I don't speak text isms. I'm trying to talk to... in your language, man. We're trying to relate, man. <laughs> my brother, my brother is 19. And when he texts me, I have to call him and go, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> I don't understand acronyms. <laughs> it's so annoying. No, I don't. I'm... Really not either. My language. <laughs> so, um, Heather, if I could pull this back a little bit, you said that your um, uh, your ideal type has altered. Adine, have yeah. you experienced that at all? Uh, no. I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine you're at the end of your breeding years, but. <laughs> well, I no, I'm still in the midst of my breeding years. You know, I'm blowing loads left and right. So. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's always been older men, uh, masculine, uh, tattoo. I want guys who look like they'd punch me in the gut and call me a faggot. Wow. I like <laughs> guys. You want to be gay bashed in bed. <laughs> That's his fantasy. Skinhead porn. There, there's skinheads who rape gay guys for being gay, and it's the hottest thing. <laughs> wow. Or I one where a gang of gay guys rape a... Uh, an evangelical Christian who's protesting gay marriage, and it's like thirty guys, and they're all taking turns on him. And that at the end, sweet. trying to walk out, and he's he's like, "Oh, I'm gay now." It's hilarious. He turned gay. Yeah, he turned. Well, I mean, after like thirty gay guys raping him, he caught anybody, the gay. He caught the gay. He caught the gay. My favorite thing about gay porn is that, like, as a movement. Um, the homosexual community <laughs> wants to convince everybody that they are not into turning your children into gays. Right. <laughs> but in the porn industry, it is all about that. <laughs> like there's, the whole gay section is first time and heteros turn to he homos and like it's it's now, all about that. Wait a minute. We said we didn't want to turn kids gay. We never said anything about men. Well, Never kids. Yeah. Dun dun dun. Douche! I didn't mean kids like underage people. I mean like <laughs> kids going out into the world where they can be, you know, encounter like those those mean gay people who want to turn them gay. 
I, uh, kids like people that are old enough to be my those kids. Those brutal straight bashers. <laughs> I used to do that in high school. See? <laughs> straight bashing. Oh, straight men were so easy to get in the sack. They were easier than the gay guys I went to school with. What? Oh, yeah. See, everyone's surprised when I say that. But it, it depends on the age. The age, and you have to know how to play on their insecurities about their manhood. But the older a man is, the less likely it is to get him in the sack. It's sad. That's surprising <laughs> to hear. I would have thought that... I don't know. I would have even thought that it was, like, almost opposite. No, no. Huh. With gay men, the older you are, the easier it is to get in the sack. Because at a certain point, we're just like, listen, we all got dicks to suck. Let's just get down to business. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to work. Roll up your sleeves and get to work. That's funny. All right, so a, a little teaser for Naughty Vince there. Uh, where can people go to uh, listen to your show? We're on Brickhouse Radio. And uh, Brickhouse Radio Live on Stickham is where our uh, our chat room is. Every Tuesday night from 8 to 10. All right. Well, both of you, thank you so much for joining me. I had a lot of fun, and I, I truly enjoy your show, and I, I hope it keeps going forever because it's, it's really great. You have a great back and forth. I, I liken it to moonlighting without the attraction. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take that as a con- I'm totally Bruce Willis, though. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> Well, does that mean I have to sleep with you? No. Uh, you should probably give it a go. Just saying. <laughs> We've uh, slept uh, together. We've no, no. You got naked and slept with me. Okay. <laughs> well, you didn't sleep? Uh, he was awake all night. Like, should I? Should I go for time? it? He was just awake staring at the ceiling all scarred. <laughs> no, I was no one can find out about this. The next bed. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> You're sleeping in a room with his favorite porn stars, and he's stuck in a bed with me, topless. I don't know what these things happen to me. <laughs> uh, again, thank you so much for joining me. I've had a lot of fun. Um, good luck with Naughty Bits. Uh, good luck with your comedy career, and good luck with your education, Adine. Um, and Heather, uh, you are amazing individuals, and uh, yeah, I don't know if it's for you, but hail Satan. Hail Satan. Uh, Hail Satan. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you so much. See, it was worth it. <laughs> I'm really, really running over, but uh, that was, they are so much fun to talk with. I feel like we should do a, a, a naughty nine cents or something because that, that that's <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, really great back and forth between them two, and it's it's nice to sort of get in between there. I, I was the cream in that. <laughs> in that. I don't know if cream was the right word. I was the cream filling in that Oreo of Naughty Bits for that short little duration. I'm going to shut up now. That's going to do it for another show. Thank you so much for joining me and for hanging in through all my ranting and uh, that, that really great interview. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents. And don't forget to leaving... Blah, blah, blah. 
<laughs> don't forget to leave a rating and or comment if you do. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Until next week, hail Satan. <laughs>